Welcome to another episode of Brown and Black. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. about mike what went down in la with latinos and blacks and indigenous people my goal in life is to get the three of you elected and i'm just focused on that we're like the little latino caucus of our, our own city yeah and we have to find new folks to bring in i bloomingfield was in here the other day right he goes we're trying to create another latino yeah why do we have to do that i go fuck the way I see it, all of the seats are Latino. What did you say? You know, oh, you got a point there. Fuck <laughs> that. You know, what do we say? 52% of the population is Latino? His mentors you know, are the reason we're so fucking gerrymandered in the valley. So, well, there's certain people who don't merit like us rescuing them. Your comadre. I'm not arguing <laughs> about that. I know. Tienes tu comadre. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. She doesn't marry. But She's not our ally. She's not going to help us. Her district is not the district we can count on. You're saying that's the one to put in the blender and chop up left or right. But they did. Yeah. All the folks like with us going, he did call me. He wants to have breakfast with me. What is taking him so long? I haven't. I just said, hey, we need to talk. You supported him from the. I don't worry, I got you. Yeah. So you'll start seeing him line up. He's with the black guy. They put the first. Here's the thing, Jack. Uh, considering the reason we do this show or a big part of the reason we do this show, the focus of the show is not only to give the brown and black perspective, but we are always talking about brown and black unity. The unity that comes just from understanding and respecting each other's culture. And one of the things that happened for me during the course of our doing this show and everything that has happened in this country in the last two years, uh, and I feel like I was naive in, in many ways, is to realize that there is a strong anti-Black sentiment within let's just say more than I'm comfortable to even admit the Latino community. And I didn't even know that because I live in New York and I have, I have nothing, I have Puerto Rican friends, I have Dominican friends. I, it never even occurred to me that there are Latinos that, that feel the same way or come across and say the same type of things about black people. I mean, all there's Ted Cruz's, but I don't even consider Ted Cruz to be a Latino. So in the aftermath of all of this, Jack, I have a lot of questions for you. So I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> all right, but line them up, man. Anybody... Line them up. <laughs> all right, well, just for anybody who's been under a rock, okay, you don't know what we're talking about here, that earlier this week, there was a leaked tape of L.A. City Council members in a meeting that included L.A. City Council President Nori Martinez, Ron Herrera, an L.A. County Federation of Labor head, and two L.A. Councilmen, Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedello. Now, Jack, the L.A. City 
council president, the woman who is in charge of the city council, how she could hold and harbor these views and, and say these things. And as they're talking about something that, that is so politically sensitive, which is the process of redrawing council district boundaries, I, I was stunned. Now, does this and her language and her being in that position, does this shock you, surprise you at all? Yeah, that's called Cape Town. Yes, yeah. I see a lot of little short, dark people. Yeah, Puro, Puro Oaxacan, Puro Oaxacan Koreans. <laughs> Not even like Kevin, little ones. I was like, so I don't know where these people are from. I was like, I don't know what village they came, how they got here, but. And so they're wearing shoes. So one, one, I get what we have to do, right? Just massage to create districts that benefit you all. Oh, man. <clears throat> I want to tell you that I'm shocked. I want to tell you, Mike, that this is unfathomable. I want to tell you that this is beyond the grasp of comprehension. I want to tell you, Mike, Mike, this is a lie. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's another one of your conspiracy theories. Come on. But no, Mike, this is the truth. And as it unfolded, my first reaction as a Latino who advocates for brown and black unity was of pure embarrassment and shame how these politicians in L.A., Mexican-Americans, okay, who have a significant history here in the United States, that they have set us back so much in the objective of brown and black solidarity. <clears throat> but it doesn't shock me because if you were to say how many Latinos are anti-black in this world, I would probably tell you almost every single one, except the Afro-Latino ones. And I'll tell you why. If you've ever lived outside the United States, like gone to school, had a job like that, like if you live somewhere else, Latin America, you'll see the way white Latinos in Latin America treat Afro-Latinos. Look at Brazil. Look at the situation in Brazil right now. Political tensions have already been turning violent with a spate of murders in recent weeks. And there are fears things could get even worse. And that's just even too big to cover. But yes, you move out of Latin America, and then we've talked about the Caribbean racism in Cuba. It is known amongst all the Latinos that Cubans happen to be probably the most racist of many of the Latinos that live in the Caribbean and Latin America. It's just a reputation that they have. And then you come to the United States, and then the idea is, should my Latina daughter marry a black man? And those conversations have happened around me. 
At parties, you know, somebody will mention that their young daughter's going out with, with a black kid. And they'll frown or say something negative. Is it racist in the systemic part? No. Is it anti-black? Absolutely. I got to stop you right there because then you're going to have to define for me the difference between racist and anti-black. What is the difference to you between racist and anti-black? Meaning that most Latinos, most working class Latinos that might feel like that towards black, they're not the ones creating institutions and systems to deprive these black people from upward mobility in any way, the way the infrastructure here in the United States is. It's more like your skin color is not one that's necessarily welcome here, but I'm not going to do anything to impede you from having a life. I just don't like your skin color. It's not welcome here. So Latinos, for the most part, and we've talked about this book, The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, how it talks about the colonizers or the colonized mentality, that the oppressed will ultimately become their oppressor. And so in this case, Latinos who have been oppressed, especially Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, since 1492 in Columbus, through the Mexican-American War and the Spanish-American War, they've all been colonized. They don't know anything else outside of that oppression. So you grew up with this internalized oppression, this internalized racism, and you start believing in yourself that you're inferior. And so what ends up flash-forwarding to now and what happened with the Nuria Martinez thing is what we really start understanding is that there is the Hispanics that are assimilated, fully assimilated. And then there's the recent immigrants that haven't had a chance to. And the big battle that you might call Latino racism in this country really has to do with Latinos who are assimilated, essentially white passing, and Latinos who had just gotten here and still hold very strongly a lot of what these now Latino Americans or U.S. Hispanics are trying to run away from. We all come from some ugly place, Mike. Us Latinos, for the most part, we all come from some ugly place, a place of corruption and a a place where governments are collapsing and constitutions are being redone and, and human rights are being violated. And then you hear about America and you're like, you're hoping that that might be a place where you can finally find some sort of peace where you don't have to live in a nightmare because you saw a movie man you're right but you think that it's so much better here and you know i think i've always felt that poverty here just really isn't relatable to the poverty in a third world country there's two different types of poverties and so those countries rather be here have some sort of public services for immigrants and once you get here what do you think you want to do 
You want to close the door, not because they're not friendly people. It's you're trying to escape the, the people that want to kill you, the people that want the worst for you, or the people that now want to smooch off of you, the people that want to work for it. And so there's this process where you're like, I want to leave that side of me. I want to leave that part of me somewhere else, that ugly darkness that I didn't ask to be born into. I want to live in America. I heard about this thing called the American dream. Myth or reality, it's a great story. I want to believe it. At some point, you buy that white picket fence, you get those two kids, and you know those these Latina women from Colombia and Latin America that their generation, third in the 80s, used to say, mejorar la raza, and they marry their white man. Yep, John Wayne looking. Uh-huh. They got their American man. And they're now American Latino kids. And now they start adapting their last name from the husband, the American husband. And slowly they just want to disappear into this white American life. It's escape, Mike. It's running away from something ugly. And impersonating maybe even sometimes some other persona that isn't that ugly that you experienced. Well, you know, I'm not going to discount anything you're saying, but from my perspective, you said white passing. I see it more like white succeeding. You know, how is it you've been able to succeed in a white dominated society and still maintain your ethnicity if you're Latino? And part of that, and I've seen it not just with Latinos, I've seen it with Asians as well. And that's why there's conflict between blacks and Asians, because Asians come here and treat us like white people do. I can't tell you how many times as a New Yorker, I've gone into Korean deli, especially when I was young and they're watching you like a hawk because they, they consider you, let's just say the way Nori Martinez considered black people and the way she talks about black people. And so for me, I see this as like embracing American values. This is the scary part for me. While you and I can bond on a bunch of different things, we can bond on music and movies and culture and this and that and all kinds of things that, that we bond on. Human beings can bond on hate, conscious or unconscious, and they do. And we've seen it. We've, yeah. we've, we are, we're living in that time where people <sighs> are bonding on hate. And so for me, when I see this, it wasn't just mocking. That was a hatred. That was a disregard. That was a try and take what we can from these people. If you listen to that tape, there's an agenda, clear, a belief of these indigenous people, these black people, a belief about them and an agenda, what you would do with them now that you're in a position to do something to them. Well, there's certain people who don't merit like us rescuing them. Your comadre. Right? I'm not arguing <laughs> about that. I know. Who's your comadre? She doesn't marry. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's called Cape Town. Yes. I see a lot of little short, dark people. Yeah, puro, yes. puro Oaxacan. Yes.
not even like Kevin, the little one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where they came from. I was like, I don't know what village they came, how they got here, but. And so wearing shoes. So one. Thumbnails. I get what we have to do, right? Just massage to create districts that benefit you all. And that's the scary part for me. As a black person, it's easy for me to ignore. Oh, uh, okay, cruise, okay. Every time I see something awful that affects both black and brown people, and it's someone with a Latino last name, and I wonder, okay, what kind of Latino is that that would do that? DeSantis or a Cruz or any number of politicians who have embraced a set of values that is very specifically American. That's what scares me. While I see the unity happening in the face of this and the people calling for the resignation, it scares me that they've been in power for a while. They've been influencing things for a while. And this is California. This is a place where it's not like Latinos have been treated really well in California by white people. Latinos have had to claw and fight to get to where they are. I mean, my goal in life is to get the three of you elected and, you know, I'm just focused on that. I mean, we're like the little Latino caucus of our, you know, our own. Yeah. And we have to find, you know, new folks to bring in. As I'm doing research and I read that Dolores Huerta did not like Kevin DeLeon, called him a bully. Why would Dolores Huerta say that, considering who she is? So I don't know. I have to say, it, you say maybe it didn't shock you and you tell me all this, but it still scares me. And I, I have to ask you, do you see this being a force for change? Do you have a positive view of the outcome of this? Well, the revelation has feel- happened, Mike. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Now we know that there is a faction of very powerful Hispanic elite policymakers. That's where the fear is, Mike. And when you say that you're scared, you should really be scared that there's Latinos that are shaping policies against blacks. Yes. That's what we found out. Yes. And against Native American indigenous people by our own people. So what am I going to say? So there's certain people who don't merit like us rescuing them. Your comadre, right? I'm not arguing <laughs> about that. I know. She, you know. She doesn't merit, right? Listen, my voice doesn't necessarily represent theirs or anything like that. I stand on the right of brown and black unity where they don't. And in our group, for every Nuri Martinez, hopefully there's a Jack Rico that advocates for this type of unity. I also think, Mike, that maybe you've noticed it or not, but the Hispanic in the West is very different than the Hispanic in the East. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. So the Mexican doesn't probably interact with African-Americans, Blacks, in the same way that a Puerto Rican, that a Dominican, that a Colombian would in New York City. 
I think that the urban culture here is much more together than LA. I don't see Mexicans and blacks hanging out either every time I've been to LA. That's just not something that my eyes really catch. But in New York, dude, that is beyond normal. So this might just be a, like a West Coast thing where this revelation about Latino racism might exist more in the West Coast than in the East Coast. God, I hope so. You remember that interview someone did with John Leguizamo where he admitted that he stayed out of the sun to remain oh, yes, more yes, light-skinned yes, white yes. because he couldn't get work if he was dark. Yeah. So for me, we're shaped and beaten and molded, Mike, by white supremacy. It's a system of orders that doesn't allow us to love ourselves, man. And so because we're in that social ladder where the top of the ladder, the color is white and the bottom of the ladder, the color is black, but then somewhere in the middle of the ladder, there's a color called brown. And so you have a choice whether you're going to go up or down. And if it's a social ladder where your family needs to be fed and everything else, that's where a lot of brown people find themselves, man, making those choices. And a lot of them, dude... It's no secret that Hispanics have identified being white in the census for a long time. They don't identify True. black, man. And no, so I think a lot of this comes from Latin America, but then is really enhanced here because they're seeing the way whites treat blacks. And they're like, oh, I guess I should do the same thing too. And if I look white, then I should act like the whites. And so, listen, man, we're going to be hearing a lot more stories, a lot more of these tapes, a lot more people are now going to expose a lot. Look, just look at Spanish language media, Mike. You want to know how anti-black Latinos are? Just look at Univision and Telemundo. Where's the black CEO executive? The Afro-Latino executive? Where's the Afro-Latino star? Do you remember when we spoke to Jamie Osorio for the Celia Cruz novella? Yes, I do. Remember the conversation we had with her? Out of the 35 Telemundo shows on Peacock and on their slate right now, Celia is the only one led by an Afro-Latina. Why do you believe that black actors don't have more representation in Spanish language programming today? I think it has to do with the storytelling. I think it has to do with that now that we are creating more platforms, it's about, right now we took this, the story of Celia Cruz, which was an icon of music. Why not let's start creating stories about black people? I know you're not looking for me, and I know you're not looking for a black girl, but this is what I have to bring. And if this is my essence, and this is what you're looking for, you're not gonna see this, you're gonna see the whole picture. Every single part of the Latin American culture has Africa in it. Yes. We cannot hide it. We, we, we have it in our blood, even if we look black, even if we look white. So if she doesn't see herself as an Afro-Latina, 
represented in in her own culture's network. Mike, we've always been like that. I think it is a mindset that comes from colonization. It is self-perpetuating, keeping us all down. Like we never get that far because we're too busy trying to keep out those who might help us rise and keep them down and think that's the only way to rise because that's how we were kept down and those above us, that's how they rose. And it's a phenomenon that only happens in the United States, Mike. Like this shit doesn't happen Anywhere else in the world. Doesn't happen in London. Doesn't happen in Japan with Latinos. And I think it's really because of the population number. I mean, if we were a country, we'd be the fifth largest GDP in the world. With like $2.8 trillion in spending power or something like that. So there's more at stake to maintain your happiness, your peace of mind. Instead of having constant reminders of a past, of an immigrant past that you want to leave behind. And, you know, maybe if things get better in Latin America, maybe a lot of immigrants might think of, you know, going back. But these things about these Latino Republicans, these white passing Latinos, these Latino racists, is that they don't want... They don't want it to mess with their lifestyle, with their peace. You've heard of the white chicken, right? No, I haven't heard of the white. If you go to Mexico City, Mexican youth is becoming essentially white Americans in Mexico. The youth, the Mexicans are becoming white Americans. They're speaking in English in Mexico. That's how much American influence there is. And now expats are heading there. From what I hear, Mexico City is becoming like Williamsburg. Now you see, we export a lot more than we realize. We export a lot of the ideologies that are... that are American really nationalism, American supremacy. Yeah, American nationalism. Part of that is racist against people of color or and definitely against black people. Let me just replace the variable. Right now, Mexico City is one of the hottest places in all of Latin America. Why? Because white Americans decided to go there and speak English. And probably the best thing they were, they've been able to do is be white in Mexico. Now, let's just flip that for a second. What if I told you the same exact story, but instead of saying white Americans went there, what if I told you black Americans went to Mexico City? Do you think that the same result would happen? That instead of white Americans, it's black Americans, and they're speaking like African Americans do, which we've always said, what, what is that? Right? This is what I'm telling you, Mike. I don't know if Mexicans would embrace black Americans in the same way or just Afro-Latinos, period, in the same way. This is the dirty secret of the culture that no one's ever really wanted to bring up. So thank you, Nuri Martinez, for bringing it up. Now we're going to tackle it with episodes like this. (music) 
that's it for this episode of Brown and Black. And if you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need whatever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.